Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. I put some notes together today. Of course, this won't be in depth or anything, but it's it's um, it's not a doctrinally heavy, uh, heavy portion that we're going to be looking at. Um, we'll be in First Thessalonians chapter three. We'll do all of chapter three and then uh, verses one through twelve of chapter four tonight, Lord willing. And um, uh, I didn't even get to type it out. I have it all. All my note cards. So we'll see how this goes. See, when I, when I really get to study, I, I, I go through everything, I, I study everything, and I make all my notes on these note cards, which have all my scattered ideas, but I can organize them, and then when I type it into the computer, I can make sense of it. But tonight you get the scattered ideas version. So we'll see how it goes. That's all right. It'll be a blessing. It's a good, good couple of chapters. Um, it, it's a, it represents a portion or an aspect of Christianity that our crowd tends to not be so comfortable with. You know, relationships, <laughs> love, and caring for people. Um, we're good at the doctrine, and we're good at trying to tell people or knowing or understanding what's right and what's wrong and, and, and all of that. And, that. and there's nothing wrong with that. But we get mad at one group because they teach that God is only love. And then we get mad at the other group because they teach God is only judgment. And the reality is God is, is both. You got you to put the two together. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's, uh, let's read the chapter. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear... We thought it good. Actually, so let, let's, let's, um, let's back up. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 17, because these are connected. And then we'll, we'll read that all the way through, and it'll make more sense. So chapter 2, verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope for joy or, or crown 
uh, of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of, of our Lord Jesus Christ? I'm, I'm stumbling over my words because um, this is one of those interesting books. If you look in chapter 1, verse 1 real fast, because you notice as he's talking, he's making these distinguish, distinguishing, uh, he's using these distinguishing pronouns, us, our, we. And so if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. And so Silvanus and Timotheus actually wrote this letter. Now, it's Paul that, that God delivered the, the scripture to. And so it's likely that Paul is dictating some of this or all of this or, or most of it. Um, but if you, if you go back to verse 17 in chapter 2, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see our face with, uh, to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul. So you see, I, he throws that in there. It's like not just, not just because we're going to find out in this chapter. He sent Timothy to go see them, right? He said, Timothy, I need you to go check on this church. They're going through trouble. They're, they're, they're. Uh, I, I, I don't know if they're going to make it. I don't know if they've stuck to the faith or if they gave up. If they quit. If they. Walked away. I don't know what's going on. And so now he's writing to them and he's telling them, I don't just want to send Timothy to you. I want to come. All right. And so, so you have Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus writing this letter. And he says, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? And that's interesting. Why did, why did Paul have to leave Thessalonica? Who remembers? From who? The Jews. What did he just say? (laughs) Satan hindered me. That's interesting. You persecute the gospel, you align yourself with Satan. Now, we've talked in some of my other classes and and other places that I've I've taught um, that Romans 9, 10, and 11 make very clear that the Jews are the enemy of the gospel. The the elect are the enemy of the gospel, and and that, that that particular group of elect people are the Jews. It's Israel. And so, so he just said here, I, I want to come back and see you, but Satan has hindered me. And, and so he went to what Philippi, and the Jews came and persecuted him. So he fled to Thessalonica, and the Jews came and, 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 and uh, caused trouble for him. So he went down to Berea, and he gets to Berea, and things are going so well. And the Jews in Berea and the people in Berea, they said, well, I hear what you're saying, but we want to search the scriptures and make sure that what you're saying is true. And then the Jews from Thessalonica came down to Berea <laughs> and ran him out of town again. So now he's sitting in Athens. This, by the way, this, this portion of scripture we're going to be reading, it lines up perfectly with Acts 16 and 17 when he's in Athens. And he's gone through all this trouble. And, and so he's writing these letters, potentially, some of them, part of them, uh, from, from Athens as he's trying to, he sends Timothy to, to talk to um, uh, the people in Thessalonica to see what they're doing. How's it going? Did they, did they stick with it? Did they give up? Did they quit? Did they succumb to the persecution? What happened? And then, praise the Lord, Timothy brings this good report. He says they're doing great. And so Paul longs to go and see them. Uh, verse 19, for what is our hope um, or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of, of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Now you'll, you'll notice that the the focus on in the book of Thessalonians, and we'll talk about it again in a, in a few minutes, and it might potentially show up on a test, so you may 
want to remember this, that every chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians deals with the second coming of Jesus Christ to some measure, every chapter. It's mentioned or it's talked about directly in every chapter. And so um, here he is again talking about, you know, them, the, the joy and the hope and the crown of rejoicing they're going to have at his coming. Verse 20, for ye are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 1, wherefore? Now, what does that word mean? What have you been taught that that word means? You need to know what the wherefore is therefore. <laughs> so it's pointing you back to what we just read. It's pointing you back to chapter 2. And uh, these chapters in this book uh, continually look at chapter 4, verse 1. So we get through chapter 3, it gets to chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you. So, so it's pointing you back to chapter 3. So these books are, these chapters are intimately connected. So back to chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we, we should suffer tribulation, even as it come to pass, even, even as it came to pass, and you know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Now, if Paul can't make it to Thessalonica because Satan has tempted him or, or is preventing him, then, then this, this, this verse, verse 5, tells you his concern for the people there. Were you able to make it through this or did you give up? They're, they're under some sort of persecution. They live in a pagan city and a pagan place that... All their lives, they've been completely aligned with, and now you trusted Jesus and you're different. Well, it's not going to go well for you. How does it go for a Ugandan in the village who, who goes along with everything that's done in the village, and then suddenly he trusts in Jesus Christ and wants to live according to the Bible and doesn't want to do with what the people in the village are doing? <laughs> well, now you stand out like a sore thumb, and they think you think you're better than them. Or how come you don't do it? You know, you used to come do this with us. Yeah, but I'm different now. Well, they don't understand that. When they hear you say, I do things differently now because of the Bible, what they heard is, I'm better than you now. <laughs> and that's not what you said, and that's not the case, but that's how they take it. Well, that's what's happening in Thessalonica. Why, you used to come to all the, you know, the Greek gods, and, and, and you used to come to the temples, and you used to come to the lascivious uh, um, uh, parades and all the, all the garbage that we have, all the celebrations we have going on. How come you don't come anymore? Well, I believe in Jesus now. <laughs> now, what they should say is, oh, okay, well, you know, teach his own and then move on. Because that's what they want you to say about them, but that's not what they're going to say about you. The, 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 there's a, a strong doctrine taught in the world called tolerance. And it's, it's presented as though you should tolerate people in a loving way. That's, that's how they present it. But what they mean is you should believe what I believe so that I can tolerate you. And if you don't believe what I believe, then you're intolerant and we can't tolerate people who are intolerant. <laughs> it's, a, it's a scam. 
It's meant to, to pressure you into going along with the crowd and, and joining them in, in their cultural events that are often tied to pagan religion. And we're not permitted to join those things. You don't have to go fight it. You don't have to go cause problems. But, but we're supposed to have this level of separation between us and them, and it's twofold. It pleases God, but it angers them. <laughs> you used to come. How come you don't come anymore? Well, I belong to Jesus now. Oh, so you're better than us now? I didn't say that. <laughs> you said that. I didn't say that. I just don't want to go. Well, when I didn't believe in Jesus and didn't want to go, you didn't care. But now that I don't want to go because I believe in Jesus, it's a problem for you. And that's just the way that's you can't win. You just tell I, I trusted in Jesus. I just don't participate in those things anymore. If you do, that's between you and the Lord. No problem. It's up to you. I'm not going. Goodbye. And then shut the door before the stones start. <laughs> Stay away from the windows. So he's concerned. He's deeply concerned about these people. Um, verse six. But but now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way uh, unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. What just got mentioned again? The second coming of Jesus Christ. So that's a, a rich theme in this book that, that we have to look out for and pay attention to. So um, back to verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 5 again. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Now, that's a hard thing. They are being afflicted. And what Paul wants them to know is that this should not move you. Well, coming from Paul, it's good advice. Because <laughs> Paul has been afflicted and it didn't move him. Uh, coming from us, in the comfort of Masaka, where somebody might laugh at you if you give out a gospel tract, how are you going to tell someone in Iraq, don't, don't, you know, don't be moved by this affliction? Like, what do you... They put us in cages and burn us. <laughs> like, what, do you, what do you know about it? It's like, well, I've read it in a book. <laughs> we have it really good, which is a blessing. We have all the freedom we want to, to, to worship God. And, and I mean, I think 
one time in my, however old I am, 40 some odd years, that's weird. Is that funny? Eventually, at some point, it comes with wisdom. I just don't know what, it, what, what point that is. <laughs> there is some connection with age and wisdom. I just, I think you got to be like, I don't know, 60. So I'm in that middle range where, where I'm older than I want to be, but not young as I want to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's a rough spot. Uh, but it, it's, I don't even know what that had to do with anything. I don't even know what I was talking about. But they, these people are being afflicted. And Paul sends Timothy to them and says, and this is the important thing. This is the hard part. And this is a deep, um, this is a theme in this chapter. It's an undertone in the chapter. It's not, it's not what the chapter is about, but it shows up indirectly in the chapter. These people, these new believers, they're being afflicted. And Paul sends Timothy to tell them, don't let it move you. He didn't say God's going to take it away. Any minute now, God's going to send an angel down and stop this. Any minute now, God's going to take you out of this. All this trouble, all this affliction, all all this tribulation that you're going through, God's going to show up any minute and take it all away. That's not what he said. He said, don't let it move you. Hold fast. Stay firm. Don't give up. Don't quit. What, what we go through in this life, as, as rough as it can be for some people, when you go through this life with Jesus Christ, you have a blessed hope to look forward to. And that's what God's concern is for you as, as a member of the body of Christ. It is not your physical status here and now. Your health is not necessarily God's concern right now. Your wealth is not God's concern. Your, your physical safety, God may or may not intervene and, and, and help you with those things. Or he might just say, don't give up. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're beating my head in with stones. Uh, don't quit. Stephen didn't quit. Paul didn't quit. Timothy didn't quit. Just endure like a good soldier. Right, so so the, the trouble may or may not be taken away. Can God take it away? Absolutely. Can you be thrown in a den of lions and God walk in there and shut all their mouths? Absolutely, he can. Can you be thrown in, in a fiery furnace and God just come and sit down in there with you and you all just hang out in the middle of a fiery furnace? Absolutely. But what did those Hebrew boys tell Nebuchadnezzar before he threw them in there? Our God can save us from this. But if he doesn't, it's still better to serve him than it is to, to, to bow to you. All right, so, so persecution might come. And, and the world, the entire world has a, there's a course to the world, according to Ephesians 2. And the entire world is heading in a certain direction. And, and, as, and I'm getting way ahead of myself in my notes, but, but as, as we're going to talk about in a minute, for, for a couple of hundred years now, anywhere from... Three to four hundred years now, the West has had the, the main responsibility or ability to determine the course of the world. All right, now we're not, we're not talking about Christianity, we're talking about the world. The Western world, Europe, England, Germany, 
these Italy, Greece, these countries, along with eventually America, they have been the most powerful countries in the world for a long time. Rome was, was considered the last world power that God directly gave that power to. And the follow on to Rome would be the, the, the countries that resulted in what, what we know today as the West moved upward to Germany, to England, France, and then into America. Right? So that, that's the West. And they have had the privilege, I guess you could say, of directing this world for a long time. Sometimes they did some incredible things that brought about greatness. Sometimes they did some really stupid things that, that never should, should have existed. But for the most part, it has been good. Here's why. When the gospel left Jerusalem, it went to England and then to America. And so the Western world, whether they like it or not, has been heavily influenced by biblical principle. It doesn't mean they were Christian. doesn't mean everything they did was right. doesn't mean that, it, that, that they're, you know, in and of themselves great. The reason the West has been so powerful and held that power and prosperity for so long is because they have had built into the fabric of their societies biblical principles. And the Bible says righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So the more aligned your country is, the more aligned your laws are with biblical principle. And and again, I'm not saying you should legislate the Bible. You can't force people to, to trust the gospel. You can't force people to live according to biblical principle. But your country can make laws, I don't know, against homosexuality, That'd probably be a good thing. That's a biblical principle. But if you're going to do that, you should also make laws against fornication. There used to be laws in the West against that. There used to be laws in the West against adultery. You get, in tr- you get in a lot of trouble for a long time in the Western world if, if, if you got caught in those types of activities. It, 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 it wasn't good for you. Now it's seen as a badge of honor. Now it's a great thing. It's a good thing. It's just, just part of life. It's part of a, the life of a dog also, but I, I, don't, I don't suggest you follow it. And so the, the, the point is, for a long time, in, in the world as a whole, with the exceptions of a few places, Christianity has had a lot of liberty to do whatever it wanted because the most powerful countries in the world The Western countries gave you liberty and freedom to worship God the way you wanted. Now, again, I'm not telling you that they were they were right and that they were they were wonderful and everything they did was great. That's not the point. The point is that built into the Constitution of the United States of America are biblical principles. And right now, America is still standing on those principles though the people who live in America have abandoned those principles. The two can't continue to coexist. One is going to take over the other. And evil men and seducers wax worse and worse. They don't get better. so, So as the West moves further and further away from those biblical principles, you're going to see it fall apart and crumble. The gospel made its way up to, where's Paul right now in this, in this chapter? Athens, Greece. 
No country's political and religious philosophy has influenced the world more than Athens, Greece, than Greece as a whole. Everything we know as a republic and as, you know, that, that came about as democracy and freedom and liberty and a Senate and, and laws that protect individual rights and all these things were born out of this conglomerate between Greece and Rome and, and spread across the world. Well, at, at some point, these ridiculous philosophers who sit around loving nothing more than to tell and hear some new thing heard the gospel. Who brought it there? The Apostle Paul. I've been to Athens and I've stood on Mars Hill where he stood. When it says he went to Mars Hill and he preached and he said, I'm here to tell you about the unknown God whom you ignorantly worship. <laughs> He's standing at the foot of Mars Hill at the foot of Mars Hill. Mars Hill is, is this this uh, it's not a mountain, but it's a big rock that go, goes uphill it's like climbing this hill back here. <laughs> but at the top are temples to the Greek gods. All right, so you have you know, the, the, the Athena and Zeus, and, and you have all these temples. So I, I've been there, been up there. I've, I've seen those and, and been around there. But at the foot of that hill where the steps are that go up, right next to it is a big rock that's about as tall as this room. It's just a, it's just a, literally a big, it's about as big as this room, literally, and it's about as high as this room, the whole rock. And so men used to stand on that rock and you could, you could give a speech. It was really meant for political situations. You'd give a speech and it could just be heard for a long way because of where you are. Well, if you turn to the right, it's where all these religious people are going up and down. All these philosophers, all, all these people who worship these Greek gods are going up and down this hill to go up and worship their gods. And Paul's standing there preaching that to them. <laughs> so at that point, the gospel began to spread through Greece and other places throughout Greece. And, and there became this marriage between the, the political philosophies of Greece and Christian principle. And it really, it followed, it, it produces great countries with a lot of liberty and freedom. The problem is, they start off that way, they just, you got about 300 years, and that's it. That's about how long Greece lasted, it's about how long um, Italy lasted, Rome, that's about how long, uh, well, Rome, it, Rome lasted thousands of years, but, but as, a, as, as the Roman Empire that and, and that, that was kind of a united empire, not the one that spread across the world that lasted like 1500 years, but they the actual Roman Empire had about 300 years of greatness, and then then you get up to England and they had about 300 years. America is 300 years old. <laughs> so, what do you think comes next? <laughs> All right, so so what I'm saying is that these people are suffering. Severe persecution that we know nothing about. Even Uganda. The West influenced Uganda in a major way. Now, whether they did it right or whether they did it wrong, that's all up for debate and subject to your opinion. Right? That, that's, there, there, there will certainly be arguments for both sides. They did some great things when they were here. They also probably did some terrible things when they were here. They did some horrendous things in Kenya. I have a book this thick about what they call the gulags in Kenya, which were concentration camps that England set up in Kenya. 
Now, did Kenya benefit from England being there? Absolutely. Did they also get terribly harmed by England being there? Absolutely. Which one do you want? Do you want the benefits without the harm, or do you want the harm without the benefits, or do you want both? <laughs> like you don't. <laughs> or do you want none? <laughs> and so th this is the struggle with Africa, is that Africa was and is exploited. It's absolutely true. Africa has also greatly benefited from that exploitation. Now, the reason they continue to be exploited is because Africans won't learn to stop taking handouts and stand on their own two feet. And until Africans learn to do that, the exploitation is going to continue. You might profit from it some. It's going to be helpful. Having all these NGOs here and all these people here, they're, they're here for two reasons. Number one, they profit from it somehow. And number two, it makes them feel better about themselves. <laughs> They're not here to, to help the poor black people in the village. When was the, la when was the last time a village saw an, a, a white person from an NGO in Kampala? We go to villages all the time, and I'm the only white person. Brother Keith is the only white person they've ever seen. So where are all these NGOs spending millions and millions and millions of dollars in Kampala? Nobody knows. It's political, it's, it's, a, it's a money game. You, you go to the Western world, you tell them, we're gonna go help the poor black people in Africa. Oh, let us give you some money. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they take the money and then they leave. They disappear. It's misappropriated, it's misused. And then whatever they wanna do here, they come here, and guess who they're met with, guess who they meet in order to, to do whatever it is they wanna do in this country, guess who they have to get through? Politicians who are like this. Well, we're here to help your people. I don't care. <laughs> Fill this hand up. All right, so what Paul is telling these people, nobody's coming to save you. You have God. That should mean a lot. That should be incredibly, incredibly helpful. That should be consolation. It should be strength. That should be your rock. That should be your refuge. Nobody's coming to save you. You belong to God. You're now soldiers for Jesus Christ. Now, wherever you are is your responsibility. It's up to you. You have to do it. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus Christ. You have God the Father. You have the Word of God. You have everything you need. One of the benefits of having England invade your country is you speak English. And you have access to the pure word of God, which you would not have had they not done that. Now, again, should they have done that? No. They did it to us too, but we kicked them out. Uganda just drove them crazy and they left. <laughs> so just, we, we give up. <laughs> Here's your independence. We're leaving. <laughs> we'll have the queen come visit you every now and then and, 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 and you know, hopefully make, it feel, make you feel better. These people are suffering serious persecution. 
When was the last time you were persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ in Uganda? It hasn't happened. Maybe we've had a few people give us a hard time here and there, but it hasn't happened. What are you going to do when persecution does come? Because it could happen. Africa changes rapidly. Everybody knows that change is coming to this country. We just don't know what it is. And so, will you let the affliction move you? Will you align with your with your cultural victimization and, and try to run to somebody else to save you? You're going to stand on your own two feet with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, and be a help to your people rather than joining the crowd doing whatever it is they're doing. These people are going through very serious affliction. It's a very serious situation. And Paul is, from Athens, deeply concerned. Now, why is Paul concerned? I mean, at this point in time, there are Christians all over the world going through affliction. Why is he concerned with these people in in Thessalonica? Because he gave birth to this church. He led these people to Christ. He, he, He himself, with Timotheus and Silvanus and whoever else was with them, they led these people to the Lord. They got this started. Paul is not willing to just abandon them. He wants to know what's good. He can't be there. He can't stay there and, and hold their hand, but he wants to know what's going on. Are you okay? Are you sticking with it? Are you going to stay faithful? You're going to be strong in the Lord. And, and so he sends someone to check on them. Um, Paul himself is going through affliction. He, we already talked about him going through, um, I think it was Philippi to Thess- Thessaloniki, and then from there he goes down to Berea, and, and he's m- moving at this point because everywhere he goes, the Jews meet him and persecute him. And it, again, he doesn't say, well, I'm a Jew. Don't treat me like this. It's just, okay, persecution's gotten too hard here. Look, look at verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear... <laughs> So, you have multiple things going on in this this verse. First of all, you have Paul who's sitting alone in Athens. And he's deeply concerned about the people that that he left behind in Thessalonica. And so, he, he could no longer take it. I can't take it anymore. I can't forbear. So, I'm sending Timothy to find out, are they there? Are they okay? Did they quit? Are they dead? What happened? I need to know. And so he sends Timothy. Timothy checks on them. And praise the Lord, he brings back a good report, which is also amazing in and of itself. They don't have Paul there. They don't have Barnabas there. They don't don't have Timothy. They don't have Silvanus. They they don't have any. None of the apostles are there. Paul and these men led these people to the Lord and said, well, the pressure here on us has gotten, it's, it's reached a boiling point. They're going to kill us. So we've got to go. We're leaving you here. Don't give up. See you later. <laughs> and then they, they left. And somehow these people, they, they stayed together. 
they were apparently growing. Their faith was strong. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't go away. They didn't fall apart. Where could you do that today? I've not seen one place in the world where you could stop somewhere for three months, preach the gospel, win a group of people together and say, okay, you're the church here. Uh, we got to go. I've taught you everything I can for now. We'll, we'll come back and check on you in a year or two. What would be there in a year or two? Nothing. You'd be looking for those people. I mean, I left them right here. Where'd they go? (laughs) There's no no personal connection to Jesus Christ. The connection becomes me to the missionary. And if the missionary leaves, well, then I guess Jesus left with them. What am I supposed to do now? I don't know. Open your Bible and do what it says? You have a personal responsibility to be deeply involved in the Christian life, regardless of who's here and who's not here. It's up to you. Remember, nobody's coming to save you. You have access to the throne of God. Do you realize that? That God in heaven says to you, who have Jesus Christ, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who are in the body of Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, I want you to come boldly to the throne of grace. Don't, don't come like, could I, could I come in? No, bust the door open. Walk in like you own the place. And then fall at his feet when you get there. <laughs> Walk in like Esther, but start reaching for the scepter quickly. <laughs> Please don't kill me. <laughs> All right, so you understand what I'm saying. Be respectful. We're not saying you walk in and start telling God what to do, but God is telling you, I want you to know you have direct access to my throne. Who else do you need? Now, we, we fellowship one, one with another, and we submit ourselves one to another, and we learn from each other, and we build each other up. So we need that fellowship. We want to be together. But what if everybody quits and leaves? Are you going to quit and leave? Was it just a, well, it was fun while it lasted. I guess I'll go back to whatever it was I was doing before. What does the blood of Jesus Christ and, and you being part of the body of Christ, not, not, not Masaka Independent Baptist Church, the body of Christ. What does that mean to you? Can, you? can you get along? Are you still a Christian when nobody else is around? I hope so. I, I hope Uganda is headed for prosperous days. I, I genuinely hope that. But you know as well as I know, when this future change in government takes place, and it's coming, Five or ten years, it's coming. What will Uganda look like? And what will you do if it's not good? Nobody's coming to save you. Now, the Bible repeatedly reminds us that we are blessed and happy to be persecuted for Christ. Amen. Oh, there we go. All right. Good. Now, if that is so, Paul must be one of the happiest and most blessed people in the world. And so are these people in Thessaloniki. Now, the report that Timothy brings back is good. 
and they're under severe persecution. And Timothy comes back and says, they're doing great. What does that mean exactly? As long as they don't get their head cut off, they're doing great. And even if they do, they end up before the throne of God, waiting for God to avenge their death. All right, so there's positives to both sides, but this is, the, this is what I want you to, to see. These people are severely persecuted, and they're flourishing. They're doing wonderful. Paul's concerned. I, I don't know where they are. I don't know what's happening. I haven't heard from them. Go check on them. Timothy shows up, and they're like, hey, let's have church. It's like, oh, you're okay? Yeah, we're doing great. Okay. Not what I expected, but praise the Lord. <laughs> like, this is, this is good. Uh, let me send a letter back to Paul because he thinks everybody's dead. And there's like one of you left or, or nobody's left. And, and Paul is, is greatly comforted by the news that they're doing wonderful. Now, for, for them, for Paul and well, for Paul, it seems, the persecution there reached a point that he couldn't stay there. Now, this is a point you're going to see all through the Bible. When, when you're trying to preach the gospel somewhere and you're being persecuted, now I don't mean somebody's being mean to you or it's hard or it's difficult. I mean you are being persecuted and you think these people are about to kill you or physically harm you. You know what the apostles did? You know what Jesus told them to do? Leave. Go somewhere else. If I go to Masaka town and I'm preaching the gospel and a mob shows up with machetes or, or pangas, I'm not going to stand there and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, put those down. <laughs> nah. I got the message. We'll go to Niendo. <laughs> we'll go somewhere else. Uh, but we're not staying here. It's not honorable for you. Now, praise the Lord if you, you, you want to die for Jesus Christ and you, you genuinely mean that. Praise the Lord. But at no point in the Bible did he tell you to die for him. He told you to live for him. And so you need to try and do that. And so when the apostles were faced with that kind of trouble, they left. Don't stay there and say, well, you know, the Lord will protect us. <laughs> well, who told you that? When every example you have is of the Lord's people leaving because there was, there was severe persecution, except for just a few examples, and they died brutal deaths. And they were honored by God. So you, you have that option. You also have the option to leave. And so we just, we just move on. And so in verse 2, And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, Timothy has a couple of purposes there. Um, but, but first, look, look at how Paul talks about Timothy, our brother. He's a minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Now, that, that's... That's who I want to send to a group of people. If a group of people contacts me and says, we need you to send somebody here to help us, talk to us, show us, I want to be able to, walk to go to somebody in this church and say, this is a fellow laborer. He is a minister of Jesus Christ. I can send this person and know exactly what he's going to do when he gets there. He's not going to go there and say, well, you know, in order to help you, 
I just need 100,000 shillings. That's all. That's not why I sent you there. I sent you there to preach the gospel to those people and to help those people. And so I need to be able to send somebody that I can trust who's not going to take advantage of the situation or the people, and they're going to show up there, and they're going to teach them the word of God, and they're going to tell them the truth, they're going to point them in the right direction, and they're going to help them and, and sacrifice and give themselves to those people. That's what Paul could depend on Timothy to do. Paul wrote of Timothy and Titus. He said of Titus, I, I sent Titus to Corinth. And I wasn't there, but I know exactly what he did when, it, when he was there. So if you, you write to me and you tell me Titus did something wrong, I, don't, I already know, I know Titus so well, and I trust Titus so deeply, I know exactly what he did when he was there. I don't even believe you. It won't work. I, won't, I won't pay any attention to it. You better, have, you better have a bunch of witnesses, and they better be credible. And so that's what is needed, and, and, and that's, what, that's what Paul saw in Timothy. And then he sent him there to establish them and to comfort them concerning their faith. Those are the, 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 the two things that he was sent to do there. The third thing is to report back to Paul on how these people are doing. And so... Timothy gets there. This is not just, you know, it, in part it is to see how they're doing and what's going on. And does the church still exist? Is it going on well? Are they going to make it? But the other part of it is that they, he wants to know, are they okay? And then he wants Timothy to teach them to buy the Bible. He wants them to establish them or establish them and build them up in the word of God. And then they're going through persecution. So while they're doing well and they're sticking together and they're staying with the word of God, they're still under severe persecution, so he wants to comfort them. And, and he sends Timothy. Uh, it's another common theme you'll read about Timothy and Titus. is They just had this comforting presence wherever they went. They, they were a comfort to people. They were a help to people. And, and that's certainly our responsibility as well. Thessalonica was a godless pagan city who was recently introduced to the, to the true and living God. These believers were, abounding, uh, were, were abandoning the idolatry that was, that was required of their daily lives. You think about that. So, so I, Uganda is an example of a country that is uh, deeply culturally oriented. Because though you have, you have different tribes here, and there are characteristics among the tribes that are very different, there's also a lot that's very similar. And so you, in, in a country like Uganda, in your region, you're expected to do things because it's what you do, right? And, and there are certain cultural norms that if you don't do it this way, people look at you like, what's wrong with you? They might even get violent and get angry, right? So, so that, that's where these people are. Now you go somewhere like America, they call America a melting pot because America is made up of everybody in the world, literally. Probably someone from every part of the world has a community in America. And so what, what's our cultural background? It's the entire world. <laughs> I mean, you go through New York City and you'll pass, you'll pass an entire section of the city that's nothing but Jews. They'll pass an entire section of the city that's nothing but Iranians. An entire section of the city, it's nothing but Ugandans and nothing but Ethiopians. Like the whole section of the city 
You, you walk into that section of the city and you're like, am I in Ethiopia? <laughs> you literally think you're there because that, that's just, that, that's where they, they, they grouped together in that part of the city and, and that's just how it is there. So what would you say is New York culture? It's all of those. <laughs> Are you going to pick one and say, well, no, it's this one. No, it's that one. No, it's this one. It's, it's, you have entire parts of the city that's called Little Italy. There's an entire section of the city called Chinatown. And my wife and I, we went to New York City our first time coming to Uganda in 2016. And we went to New York City. We were flying out of New York. And I have some friends up there. We were going to stop for a couple days and see them. And so while we were waiting to go see our friends, we went to Chinatown. And we went to a restaurant. The whole menu was in Chinese. Nobody in the, nobody in the restaurant spoke English. And so we're sitting there. And we're like... You know, we don't know what to order. There's no pictures. So you can't, like, point at a picture and say, that looks okay. Give me that. And this lady is trying to help us, but she speaks horrible English. I mean, no English at all. She did, like, a few words, and, and, and they were terrible. And so we're sitting there, and we're like, just, and, and it's, it's, the, it's a kind of restaurant where they push this cart around, and, they, and you just take stuff off the, off the cart as it goes around, or you can order something, and they bring it to you. So we're sitting there, and we don't know what to do. Also, you sit at a big round table. And so anybody can just come in and sit at your table. So my wife and I are sitting next to each other, and people just start sitting down. We don't know who they are. They're all Chinese. They don't speak any English. And so we're just sitting there like, what do we do? And this lady comes up. Finally, the lady who was trying to help us, she just, just sets some food in front of us. So she sets this plate down, and there's these three chicken feet sticking up off the plate looking at me. And I was like, no, take that away. So she takes it away. And, uh, and finally, somebody at the table spoke some English, and they, they helped us order, you know, and it was, it was fun. Now, so these people are under strong cultural influence, and that influence is pagan. And so, like we talked about at the odds, at the, at, you know, the sort of the introductory ideas, how come you're not coming to the festival? Well, I'm a Christian now. Oh. Wait till I go tell everybody else. And, and so the, the festival that's for you, go to it. Go have fun. Leave me alone. I don't want to go. Why, why does it matter if I go or don't go? It, it's, it's amazing, even within Christianity, the things that Christians have adopted that they should not have adopted, if you don't participate in it, they get mad at you for not participating. Now, I don't get mad at them for participating, but they will get mad at me if I don't go and participate with them. It's like, we're just, are you feeling guilty? I mean, what, why do you need me to come and participate? Will that, will that, help you feel more comfortable if I came with you or if I went along or if I was a part of whatever it is you're doing? Would it, would it confirm in your mind that you're justified for doing what you're doing? Why do you need me to be a part of it? And so they, 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 they have some amazing ideas about how these things should go. And if you say to them, no, it's, it's okay, you go ahead. Well, that's not okay. Well, why don't you want to go? What do, what do I have to do with this? This is your festival. You go. Well, I want to know why you're not coming. Can I just stay home and, <laughs> and not be able? No, no, you can't. It's like, why not? And then, and then, God forbid, it be family. Well, we do this every year. Well, I, I know, we used to do it every year. I don't do it anymore. Well, you have every other year. 
Yeah, but, but I've trusted in Jesus Christ. I don't do that anymore. Well, why not? Is it, you think it's wrong now? I'm not trying to get into a discussion with you about the merits of what you're doing. I'm just trying to kindly tell you I don't want to go along with that anymore. Oh, you, he's better than us now. He thinks he's better than us. That's all it is. Like, no, I don't think I'm better. I had nothing to do with that. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm learning in the Bible. There are some things that I should do and should not do, and I want to try and do that. Oh, see, there it is. You think we shouldn't do this. It's like, it has nothing to do with you. You go do it. <laughs> Leave me alone. And so they're under this tremendous pressure, and they're not succumbing to the pressure. And so the pressure, it turns from pressure to anger, and from anger to severe persecution. And in some societies, you don't go along with the crowd. It can, that, that, the retribution can be very serious. That's where we are. That's where they are. Um, now, this idea that he was sent to comfort them and to establish them uh, is a common theme in the Bible. Look, at, look real fast. Let's look at a few. It's 2 Thessalonians 2. Verses 13 through 17. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now your Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered. Now, now look at that. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't looked, so I don't know what the time frame is or the difference in time or the space of time between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. But now he's writing to them and he's saying, man, the word of God just had free course with you. Did something, <laughs> did something change? Or is it just their faithfulness? Or, you know, what was it? Uh, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. First um, Peter chapter 5, let's look at another one there. And, and sometimes, as much as I hate this thought, sometimes persecution causes the gospel to spread. Um, the problem we have in America is life is is way more comfortable than I think it was ever supposed to be. And in order for something to, for real change to be affected in America, I'm afraid people are going to have to, they're going to have to lose these comforts and conveniences and be brought back down to reality. Living in America is like living at a carnival every day. It's just, it's like one big celebration. Nobody has, a, has you know, the, there's enough entertainment for you, to, for you to move around like you don't have a care in the world until it comes knocking on your door. And then you realize you can entertain yourself all you want. That bill still do. <laughs> Work's still coming. You know, it's, it's, you, you can't escape it. But they want to be able to pretend that they can. 
and, and so it's a, it's a rough situation. But 1 Peter 5, verses 10 through 11, uh, but, God, but, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Romans 16. Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. So there it is. There's a mystery. What do we do? How do we figure out this mystery? Well, you read the next verse, verse 26. But now is made manifest. <laughs> now, you know how many people sell books by saying, oh, this mystery, we've got to figure out this mystery. I have a whole book about what this mystery is. What is it? Well, if you just read verse 26, it's, it's made known. <laughs> Every mystery that God presents in the Bible is immediately made manifest in the following verses every time. So you don't, you don't have to go find it somewhere. It's, it's just available to you. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So uh, God wants you to be established in the faith. And uh, Paul sent Timothy to, to do that for these people. Um, and then he tells them when he gets there that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Paul desired Timothy to teach the church at Thessalonica that afflictions were common to the Christian life. That's what's so odd about that whole introduction about the Western world. This is the illusion that we live under right now. Um, especially... In directly in Western countries, and then all the countries who have been influenced or helped, or if you want to call it help, by Western countries. The, the outworking of that has been the, the propaganda, or the, the, the uh, uh, they have pushed this idea of freedom and liberty and democracy or a republic, all these things, which are wonderful ideas for the most part. Democracy, not so much. Democracy is, is an organized form of mob rule. <laughs> All right, so you, you, what you really want is a constitutional republic in which the country sticks to the Constitution. And if you can get that, you'll have a great country. It's a wonderful thing. We used to have that. We still have a small taste of it, but it's rapidly going away. Uh, our last stand right now for that is in our Supreme Court, and who knows how long that's going to last. Once that, that's gone, then we, we pretty much throw our Constitution out the window. Now, but here's the point. Here's, the, here's why all this matters. All of that was established on biblical principle, and so then England, America, Germany, to some extent France, but really primarily the countries who were greatly affected by Christianity and the gospel were Germany. You had Martin Luther and his movement there. Um, England, England produced the greatest biblical writers the world has ever seen. And they, they influenced the entire world, including the, producing the King James Bible. 
And then all that carried over into America, which these countries then began dealing, having their dealings with other countries. They began adopting the same ideas philosophically and, and politically. And so what that ends up producing is religious liberty, which you have here. A lot of countries in Africa do not, don't have it. Now, the mo- most of them do. Mo- most countries in Africa have some form of religious liberty. Many of them, there, there are a handful or maybe, maybe a dozen or so that don't, and, and you can get into serious trouble by trying to exercise your religion there or what, your faith or whatever it is that, that you, you claim to believe. It, it might get you in trouble, it might not. But in Uganda, which has been heavily influenced by countries like America and England, primarily England, you have a lot of religious freedom here. And so we, we live under this illusion that it's always going to be like this. And it's not. There's an ebb and flow to this. There, there, it's like waves. And now I, it's the same, the same is true for the United States of America. And, and in fact, I would say it's even more true of America because America, a country like America right now is riding the coattails of its past. And they think America is going to continue the way it always has because it had a strong past. Well, the foundation that built that past is gone. But everybody's still moving along as though that foundation is there. What happens if you're standing on the top of a building with no foundation? It's coming down. It just hasn't fallen yet. It's going to. And and already in America, people are being arrested for things they say from the pulpit. People are being arrested for preaching on the streets. People are being arrested for passing out tracts. People are being arrested for standing against certain political ideas that are religious in nature. Homosexuality, abortion, all these things. These are not political problems. These are religious problems. These are moral problems that can only be handled with the word of God. It's not I'm, when I when I say I'm a, I, you know if I say I'm against something like that I'm, I'm not I'm not restating a political position I'm telling you God doesn't want you to kill your baby like that I don't understand how that we have to have this argument or, or how this is a political debate it's just the fundamental reality that you shouldn't kill the child that's in your womb I mean it just seems like that would be a, a really basic thing. Who you, who is alive, because nobody killed you when you were in the womb, think it's okay for you to kill the child in your womb. Right? Now, that, that's not a political argument. That, that's a biblical fact. That's a biblical truth. Right? So I'm not, I'm not crossing over into politics, but that's not how they see it. And if you don't align with their politics, they're going to come after you. And we used to have the, this legal structure that protected you from that. It's gone. I mean, it, there's a little bit of it left. It is still there, but it's in shambles. It's not doing well. Now, in some states in America, it's doing better than it is in others. And, and, I, and, and the reason I'm using America as an example is because it, it's, it's probably the greatest example today of a country who is thriving based on the biblical principle they were given 
and still thinks it's just going to be that way in 10 years, in 20 years. They think it's not going anywhere. They, we just assume it's going to be like this and for the rest of our lives. And it's not. It, it's, it's coming. The bottleneck is coming and coming and coming and coming. And eventually it's going to be so tight, it's just going to slam into it. And if you, if you teach and preach the word of God someday in America, you're going to be put in jail for it, which is an amazing thought. It's happening already on a small scale, but it's just going to increase. And then there's going to be great persecution because you, you have established the most powerful country in the world with the most powerful military and the most powerful police force. All that was established on a, on a, on a, at least a basic moral level that came from biblical principle. Well, it was okay when that was the case. But now you're turning all that power over to, to pagan psychopaths who hate God. What do you think they're going to do with it? They're going to mobilize it and use it against people they disagree with. It's already happening in a major way. In, in numerous ways, you, you can't assume the liberty you have now is going to be there tomorrow. But will you quit? Look, I, I, I love my family. I don't want anything to take me away from my family. But we're not quitting. If it means I have to go to jail, it'll be a mistake on their part, not mine. Because the people in jail have to hear me preach. And then they put me in solitary confinement. Well, they better pad those walls and make sure that they can't hear anything because I'll be preaching down the hall. I mean, imagine a prison in America. It's all concrete and metal. It just echoes. <laughs> so I'll just send my voice down the hall until, until you get tired of it. I mean, I don't, it's not going to stop for me, Lord willing. I don't want to be tested. I don't want to find out. I don't want to try. I like having freedom and liberty. I like people leaving me alone. But I'm afraid the day is coming. And if it falls in a country like America, it was countries like America that produced it. Where does it go from there? It was countries like England that produced it. England, you have no freedom of speech in England. You say the wrong thing in the wrong place, you're going straight to jail. England produced all, all of this. You think, about, you think about the trail from Greece to Rome to England to America. Where does it go after America? Where will there be freedom and liberty to practice the way you want, to serve God the way you believe is right? So thank God for it while you have it. Enjoy it while you have it. But what will you do when you're afflicted? For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. That's an amazing thing. We told you we have to suffer tribulation. I mean, that's a common theme in Paul's teaching. You want to come into the kingdom of God? Well, how are you going to get there? You must enter through tribulation. I don't want to go that way. 
<laughs> Not an option. Now, praise God, I've had it really good. You've had it really good. I mean, you, you have an established schedule every week. Friday, go preach the gospel publicly in the middle of town in their markets. And what do they do? They hear you preach and they take the tracks. Right? You don't have any trouble at all unless you go in the building and start setting up speakers. <laughs> I guess mean, it's, it's, it's worth a try. <laughs> um, I know I have some friends that went to the Philippines and they got they were in the Philippines to go from one island to another. You got to take oftentimes you got to take a plane. Well, they gave them the microphone on the plane and let them preach on the plane while they're flying from one island to another. Now, where else in the world can you do that? Not many places. Maybe some places in Africa, in the Philippines. You won't do that in America. It just you won't do that in England. You won't do that in France. So if you have the liberty, take it, but don't abuse it. Be respectful and, and, and use it. But while you have this opportunity, take full advantage of it and, and be prepared for when the day comes and it's, and, uh, and it's no longer there. Jesus said in John 16, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Now, some people use verses like this to teach that, see, the church is going through the tribulation. What's the context of this chapter? Have they mentioned anything about the second coming of Jesus Christ in this chapter so far? Nothing. There is nothing about this that says the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation. The Lord's just saying, I, Paul is saying, I have people I love in Thessalonica and they are afflicted right now. And I want to know how they're doing. I want to know what's going on. So this is not people going through the tribulation. This is people going through trouble. That's what tribulation is. It's, it's hardship. It's trouble. But it's a, it's a you know, the, the word tribulation came from a tribulum. And a tribulum was like a big sledgehammer that had spikes on the end. And they, they would take the tribulum and they would slam it into wheat and they would rip it out and hopefully rip out the chaff, the stuff they didn't want. So do you get the picture? See why God sends you through tribulation and trouble? He's just taking his tribulum and going, <laughs> I just want to rip that out of you and get that out of you and make you better. That's what it's for. That's the point. Is it fun? No, not at all. But it is, it is necessary. Uh, and Jesus said, are you in the world? Raise your hand if you're in the world. Anybody here in the world? Just me, Skylar, Quinto. Sarah, good. I hope so, because he's in the world, so that's going to be kind of... <laughs> you're on the world? Well, Jesus said, if you're in the world, <laughs> you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. And, and part of it is just living in a sin-cursed world, and part of it is the Lord helping you out, <laughs> whether you want the help or not. <laughs> Uh, now, I, I don't want sorrow and I don't want trouble or persecution, but they are standard characteristics in the Christian life. It's just how it is. And if you haven't had to deal with that 
head on, thank God. It's not a time to say, well, I mean, I don't see what the problem is. And it's not a time to say, well, if it were me, it's not you. And you don't know what you would do if you were, if you were being thrown in a prison and the next day they're going to lock you in a cage and light you on fire, alive. You don't want to know what you would do. So just thank God for the freedom and the liberty that you have and take advantage of it and make the best of it. Because the more people you win to Christ, the better chance you have of moving your country in a proper direction. The less people you win to Christ, well, it's just you. Who's going to make concessions for you? (laughs) Nobody. But if there are hundreds and thousands and millions like you, or at least a little bit like you, uh, then your country has a much better chance of moving in a, pro- in a proper direction. Um, look at 1 Peter chapter 1 real fast. And verse 7. <clears throat> that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, I, you know, it's, it's always the case. You want to make something beautiful? So I, I, I enjoy making furniture. Even more so, I enjoy making it using hand tools. I have a set of hand planes that were made in 1910. They're beautiful. They're, they're, they, are, they are unbelievably well-crafted. So much so, they were made in 1910, and they work unbelievably well still today. And so you can take that, and you can begin to shape wood and make it with a hand plane. You can make that piece of wood perfect. If I say I need this many planks, this size, this width, and I need them perfectly smooth, I can take a hand plane and I can do that. But what's happening to accomplish that? That hand plane is ripping that wood away. You start with that rough surface and you take that hand plane and you, and you, you rip that wood away and you tear it away. And, and eventually, after ripping all that away and shaping it, you come out with this beautiful piece of wood that you can then laminate together. And then guess what you gotta do again? More planing. <laughs> Once you put the wood together, now you've got to flatten the whole surface to make it nice and smooth and clean. So you've got to, you've got to plane it again, and you've got to plane it again, and it's ripping away more wood, and it's tearing away more wood, but it's becoming flat, and it's becoming smooth, and it's becoming beautiful. And in order to make that beautiful piece of wood, it's got to go through some tribulation. How are you going to become more Christ-like? Will you do it on your own? Will you just decide, you know what, every day I'm going to improve and be more Christ-like, every single day, without fail? Not likely. You're going to have a good day, a good day, and then you're going to fall off a cliff and hit the <laughs> and have a horrible day. Then you're going to have a good day, then a horrible day, then a good day, and a good day, and a good day, then a horrible day. And, and that's how we are. It's like watching the ocean go up and down, and, and, and there's, there's no... It's not like the water's level and flat and we, we, we know what we're doing or it's on an upward curve. It's, it's up and down and up and down and, and constant trouble. So God sends things into our lives or allows things. He maybe doesn't send it. It just it happens and God says, I can use that to, to make them better. 
I can use that to strengthen them. I can use that to build their character. I can use that to take out something that I don't want to be in them. And, and so that, that's the process that we have to go through. Um, and the end result might be something beautiful. But you don't get the beautiful piece of furniture without ripping the wood apart and then putting it all back together in a way that you, you want it to be. And so that's what God's going to have to do with us to make us what he wants us to be. And we are his workmanship, which means he's got to get his plane out, rub it up against your head sometimes, <laughs> and try to, try to help take away the stuff he doesn't want to be there. Now, twice in the first five verses, Paul could no longer forbear. Look at um, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear... We thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Look at verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. And uh, it is frustrating. You pour your heart into people. You preach the gospel to people. You talk to people. You, you visit them. You call them. You follow up with them. You answer all five million of their questions. And then they just disappear. Say, like, did I do all that in vain? <laughs> no, you didn't. Though it would be better if they stayed. Um, it is one of my greatest struggles in Africa. And it's, it's true in places like Africa. It's true in the Philippines. And there are probably other, I'm certain there are other places in the world where there's a base level of receptivity to the gospel. So you, you go out... The, the, one of the positives of preaching the gospel in Uganda is that the, the overwhelming majority of Ugandans believe the Bible is the word of God. Well, that makes it easy to reason from the scriptures. Right? We don't, for the most part, in most of America, we don't have that. You go and you say what the Bible says, and you say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, why don't you believe the Bible? It's not true. Well, what in it is not true? None of it. Nothing in the Bible is true. Not one thing. And they'll say yes to that. It's like, come on, man. You're just, you're, you're not, your brain is broken. <laughs> Stop watching television. It's not helping you. You, you, need, you need serious help. Not one thing in the Bible is true. That you, you, you're telling me I couldn't open this book and show you one thing that is true. And then I open something and I show them something trivial that's true. And that, Well, yeah, that's true. Well, now you're a liar. You said not one thing is true. Well, I didn't know that was in there. You don't know what's in there. You've never looked at it. <laughs> and so the, the positive here, I can show somebody, well, the Bible, you said this, but the Bible said this. Oh. <laughs> and it puts them in a conundrum where they have to decide, am I going to sit here and defend what I said and call God a liar? Or am I going to submit to what God says? And most of them will acknowledge, I mean, what God says is true. Yeah, but you said something different from God, so are you going to change what you said? And they might not change what they said, or they might. Sometimes they do. Oftentimes they do. But they at least believe this is God's word. All right, so that, that's a good starting point when you're trying to reason with somebody from the scriptures. When they don't believe the Bible at all, you can't even get your foot in the door. And I've told you before, I have witnessed to men standing on the street corner. College students are the absolute worst. You, you pay 
I mean, you pay sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a university education in America, and you come out stupider than when you went in. <laughs> they literally pay teachers to teach them that you can't know anything. Why would you pay somebody to teach you you can't know anything? And how do you know that they taught you you can't know anything if you can't know anything? Prove to me that, that what they taught you is true. And you can't prove it to me because you can't know anything. If you can't know anything, you don't even know if they taught you anything or if you even paid them. <laughs> like it's, just, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. And we'll ask them, what street corner are we standing on? There's the street sign. What street corner are we standing on? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? The street sign is right there. Well, I don't know who put that there. Well, I don't know how you're going to get home tonight. Do you have a home? Yeah, I have a home. How do you know? How are you going to get there? You don't know anything. You don't know the way. Well, I know the way. No, you can't know anything. You said you can't know anything. How are you going to get home? Why don't you just go in that house and just tell them you're home? See how that works out. They don't know anything, so how do they know you don't live there? <laughs> and, of course, it all starts falling apart. But that's not what I mean. I know no, what, what happened is someone with a Ph.D. stood before you in a classroom and told you this, and it sounded so enlightening, and you just bought it. You didn't think it through. And it really falls apart when you ask them about their money. How much money do you have in the bank? Well, I have $1,000. How do you know? What if the bank doesn't know how much you have in their bank? What if to them $1,000 is $100? What are you going to do now? Well, no, it's my $1,000. No, you don't know if it's your $1,000 or not. Maybe they're right. Nobody knows anything. So how do you know if it's $100 or $1,000? What is $100 or $1,000? What is money? We don't know anything. Well, that's not, that's not, yeah, I, I, I know, I know. Your philosophy just fell apart in the most fundamental ways. And it's hard to reason with you from the scriptures because you don't want to reason from the scriptures. You know that philosophy, that teaching is idiotic, but it helps you not to have to deal with moral realities from the word of God. One guy asked, well, who's the first president of the United States? I don't know. How'd you get in college? You don't know who the first president of the United States is. And he got mad at me. Are you insulting my intelligence? You don't have any. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> if you don't have the word of God and you can't reason with people from the scriptures, there's just no chance your country's going to go in a proper direction. It's a blessing to sit down with a Ugandan open the Bible and, and reason with them from the scriptures and, and they will pay attention and listen. Now, it, it frustrates me that we have 6,000 professions of faith every year and like four people show up to church. <laughs> and and I, I don't know the solution to that here. It is a problem, but it, it's still a blessing to be able to sit down with somebody and reason with them from the scriptures and show them what the word of God said. Here's, here's the reality. It, it's frustrating that those people don't show up to church but we don't know how many of those people are actual, true professions of faith. Some of them went home and told their family, I trusted in Jesus today. And they said, no, you didn't. And, and immediately had to, had to rethink this newfound trust in Jesus Christ. And, and though they may have made a genuine profession of faith, they're just not grounded and rooted and established in the faith well enough to be able to defend what they just encountered. 
Right? So, so there, there are all sorts of reasons why, and, and I, I hope you find a solution. We'll be praying for it. But focus on the people who want to be here. Don't, don't worry about the people who don't want to be here. I mean, try, invest in them, reach out to them, work with them, do your best to get them here. But the people who come, pour your life into them. Do everything you can to help those people, and, and it'll just it'll slowly and surely, it'll continue to grow. The Lord will build his church. You just keep putting in the effort. The Lord will build his church. So, all right, let's read verses 6 through 10 real fast. But now when Timotheus came from, from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Now imagine how that must have felt for the Apostle Paul. Sitting in Athens alone, grieved over the idolatry of that city, concerned about the people in Thessalonica, and he gets this report. What a blessing that must have been, and what an encouragement that must have been. Verse 7, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord... For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now that is, that might be the solution. Do you pray night and day for the people you've led to the Lord? Are you concerned about them? Do you desire to see their face? Now, I have a serious problem with this. I, I am not a people person. I don't hang out. I, I want to work. I don't want to go talk and sit and do nothing. Occasionally, I want to go have some coffee and talk to somebody, and then it's like, all right, good talking to you. I got to go. <laughs> but the Christian life is about people. And it's about relationships. And you have to build those relationships. Now, you, you might have to figure it out and do it in your own way, but you've got to figure out a way to build relationships and to help people. I, as much as I would like to just lock myself in a room all day with 10,000 books and just study and read and write and, and, and do all these things that I enjoy doing, um, you, you've got to talk to people. You've got to help people. That, that's... You can't live in the digital world. You can't, you know, it's just not, it's not Christianity. And we, we win these people to Christ, you know, speaking to myself. I'm like, all right, see you at church Sunday. <laughs> Why do I got to come hold your hand and walk you to church? You know, like, just come to church. If you, if you just came to understand that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you, you can't come to church on Sunday? Like, oh, that's so wonderful. I'm not going to hell anymore. Not if you believe that. I believe that. Praise the Lord. See you at church Sunday. Well, I have to wash my hair. Okay. You do it after church. Well, no, I mean, I mean it takes the whole day. Well, do it Saturday. Well, I have something else on Saturday. What? I'm failing to understand. Did you just understand that this person was brutally beaten, nailed to the cross, spit in his face, crown of thorns, punched, all, all these horrible things that happened to him, and then hung there in agony for you. Yeah, I'm sure thankful he did that. Okay, see you at church on Sunday. 
well, I'm failing to see. There's a disconnect somewhere. We're not on the same page. It seems to me that if you understand what we just talked about, and, and you're making a profession of faith in Jesus Christ based on the fact that you're a sinner going to hell, Christ died for your sins, a brutal, horrendous death on your part, was buried, rose again the third day. You're believing that right now, being released from your sins, saved, forgiven, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and your answer is, eh, maybe Wednesday. Okay, see you Wednesday. Well, I think Wednesday I might have something. Yeah, I'll see you Wednesday. And then you never see them again or hear from them again. Somebody didn't understand something. And if it takes me coming back and, hi, good to see you again. <laughs> I know you want nothing to do with me and you don't care about Jesus Christ or the church, but I'm here to see you again and hoping that, that enough visits will trick you into coming to church. All right, now, you, you have to build relationships. You do. They are essential. They are important. It, it, it is Christianity. You can't separate the two. But I also don't want to be responsible for holding the hand of 25 different people because they're not adult enough or they don't have enough, they don't have enough emotional stability to understand that Christ died for them. Maybe I should do something as simple as just show up to church on Sunday. What am I supposed to do with that? How do I help that person? They wouldn't like me anyways. There's nothing they would like about hanging around me or being around me. It's just, it's not, not that's, it's, it's, it's. So, so I have to figure that out. I do. And you've got to figure that out. How you're going to handle those things, how you're going to deal with those things, you, you, you need to put a plan together and figure it out. But there, there is a, a balance to this that you want to make sure you strike. You don't want to create a church full of babies whose hands you have to hold 24 hours a day you also don't want to use that as an excuse for not reaching out to people and trying to build relationships with them when you know that you should. When you lead somebody to Christ, they just became newborn babes in Christ. How many newborn babies would you leave sitting on the side of the road? <laughs> All right, see you next week. <laughs> don't die. <laughs> All right, so, so they're... they're there's a balance there that has to be struck. You, you do have to help them. You do have to have a relationship with them. You are responsible for them. If my wife, we, we had our first baby, Bethany, and we said, well, glad you're here. See you next week. And we just left her. How would that work out? She'd be dead in 24 hours. So how do you think you can just leave a newborn babe in Christ not offer any assistance or guidance and just assume they're going to show up. Now, at the same time, from day one, we had expectations of Bethany. And the older she got, the more intense those expectations became. I'm just going to hold your hand. You need to learn how to do things. And now my three-year-old has more intelligence and mental stability than 80% of the 50-year-olds in the world. So there has to be a balance there that needs to be worked out. The relationship has to be there. 
but you also don't want to be creating dependency. You want to create independent people who, who are there for Jesus Christ, but you're going to have to be the person who helps facilitate that. Amen. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.